0: section fifty of english literature by william j long this Lieberbox recording is in the public domain chapter ten continued jane austen seventeen seventy five eighteen seventeen we have so lately rediscovered the charm and genius of this gifted young woman that she seems to be a novelist of yesterday rather than the contemporary of wordsworth and coleridge and few even of her readers realized that she did for the english novel precisely what the late poets did for english poetry she refined and simplified it making it a true reflection of english life like the late poets she met with scanty encouragement in her own generation her greatest novel pride and prejudice was finished in seventeen ninety seven a year before the appearance of the famous lyrical ballads of wordsworth and coleridge but while the latter book was published and found a few appreciative readers the manuscript of this wonderful novel went begging for sixteen years before it found a publisher as wordsworth began with the deliberate purpose of making poetry natural and truthful so miss austen appears to have begun writing with the idea of presenting the life of english country society exactly as it was in opposition to the romantic extravagance of mrs radcliffe and her school but there was this difference that miss austen had in large measure the saving gift of humor which wordsworth sadly lacked maria edgeworth at the same time set a sane and excellent example in her tales of irish life the absentee and castle rack and miss austen followed up the advantage with at least six works which have grown steadily in value until we place them gladly in the first rank of our novels of common life it is not simply for her exquisite charm therefore that we admire her but also for her influence in bringing our novels back to their true place as an expression of human life it is due partly at least to her influence that a multitude of readers were ready to appreciate mrs gaskell's cranford and the powerful and enduring work of george eliot life jane austen's life gives little opportunity for the biographer unless perchance he has something of her own power to show the beauty and charm of commonplace things she was the seventh child of rev george austin rector of steventon and was born in the parsonage of the village in seventeen seventy five with her sisters she was educated at home and passed her life very quietly cheerfully in the doing of small domestic duties to which love lent the magic lamp that makes all things beautiful she began to write at an early age and seems to have done her work on a little table in the family sitting-room in the midst of the family life when a visitor entered she would throw a paper or a piece of sewing over her work and she modestly refused to be known as the author of novels which we now count among our treasured possessions with the publishers she had little success pride and prejudice went bagging as we have said for sixteen years and north hangard abbey seventeen ninety eight was sold for a trivial sum to a publisher who laid it aside and forgot it until the appearance and moderate success of sense and sensibility in eighteen eleven then after keeping the manuscript some fifteen years he sold it back to the family who found another publisher an anonymous article in the quarterly review following the appearance of emma in eighteen fifteen full of generous appreciation of the charm of the new writer was the beginning of jane austen's fame and it is only within a few years that we have learned that the friendly and discerning critic was walter scott he continued to be her admirer until her early death but these two the greatest writers of fiction in their age were never brought together both were home-loving people and miss austen especially was averse to publicity and popularity she died quietly as she had lived at winchester in eighteen seventeen and was buried in the cathedral she was a bright attractive little woman whose sunny qualities are unconsciously reflected in all her books works very few english writers ever had so narrow a field of work as jane austen like the french novelists whose success seems to lie in choosing the tiny field that they know best her works have an exquisite perfection that is lacking in most of our writers of fiction with the exception of an occasional visit to the watering-place of bath her whole life was spent in small country parishes whose simple country people became the characters of her novels her brothers were in the navy and so naval officers furnish the only exciting elements in her stories but even these alleged heroes lay aside their imposing martial ways and act like themselves and other people such was her literary field in which the chief duties were of the household the chief pleasures in country gatherings and the chief interests in matrimony life with its mighty interests its passions ambitions and tragic struggles swept by like a great river while the secluded interests of a country parish went round and round quietly like an eddy behind a sheltering rock we can easily understand therefore the limitations of jane austen but within her own field she is unequaled her characters are absolutely true to life and all her work has the perfection of a delicate miniature painting the most widely read of her novels is pride and prejudice but three others sense and sensibility emma and mansfield park have slowly won their way to the front rank of fiction from a literary viewpoint north Hanger abbey is perhaps the best for in it we find that touch of humor and delicate satire with which this gentle little woman combated the grotesque popular novels of the udolpho type reading any of these works one is inclined to accept the hearty endorsement of sir walter scott that young lady has a talent for describing the involvements and feelings and characters of ordinary life which is to me the most wonderful i ever met with the big bow wow strain i can do myself like any now going but the exquisite touch which renders ordinary commonplace things and characters interesting from the truth of the description and the sentiment is denied to me what a pity such a gifted creature died so early walter savage landor seventeen seventy five eighteen sixty four while hazlitt lamb de quincey and other romantic critics went back to early english literature for their inspiration landor shows a reaction from the prevailing romanticism by his imitation of the ancient classic writers his life was an extraordinary one and like his work abounded in sharp contrasts on the one hand there are his egoism his uncontrollable anger his perpetual lawsuits and the last sad tragedy with his children, which suggests King Lear and his daughters. On the other hand, there is his steady devotion to the classics and to the cultivation of the deep wisdom of the ancients, which suggests Pindar and Cicero. In his works, we find the wild extravagance of Jabir, followed by the superb classic style and charm of Pericles and Aspasia, such was landor a man of high ideals perpetually at war with himself and the world life landor's stormy life covers the whole period from wordsworth's childhood to the middle of the victorian era he was the son of a physician and was born at warwick in 1775. From his mother he inherited a fortune, but it was soon scattered by large expenditures and law quarrels, and in his old age refused help by his own children. Only browning's generosity kept Landor from actual want at rugby and at oxford his extreme republicanism, brought him into constant trouble and his fitting out a band of volunteers to assist the spaniards against napoleon in eighteen o eight allies him with byron and his quixotic followers the resemblance to byron is even more strikingly shown in the poem jabir published in seventeen ninety eight a year made famous by the lyrical ballads of wordsworth and coleridge a remarkable change in lander's life is noticeable in eighteen twenty one when at forty-six years of age after having lost his magnificent estate at lanthony abbey in glamorganshire and after a stormy experience in como he settled down for a time at fiesole near florence to this period of calm after storm we owe the classical prose works for which he is famous the calm like that at the center of a whirlwind lasted but a short time and landor leaving his family in great anger returned to bath where he lived alone for more than twenty years then in order to escape a libel suit the choleric old man fled back to italy he died at florence in eighteen sixty four the spirit of his whole life may be inferred from the defiant farewell which he flung to it i strove with none for none was worthy of my strife nature i loved and next to nature art i warmed both hands before the fire of life it sinks and i am ready to depart works landor's reaction from romanticism is all the more remarkable in view of his early efforts such as jabir a wildly romantic poem which rivals any work of byron or shelley in its extravagance notwithstanding its occasional beautiful and suggestive lines the work was not and never has been successful and the same may be said of all his poetical works his first collection of poems was published in seventeen ninety five his last a full half-century later in eighteen forty six in the latter volume the hellenics which included some translations of his earlier latin poems called idilia one has only to read the hamadryad and compare it with the lyrics of the first volume in order to realize the astonishing literary vigor of a man who published two volumes a half century apart without any appreciable diminution of poetical feeling in all these poems one is impressed by the striking and original figures of speech which lander uses to emphasize his meaning it is by his prose works largely that lander has won a place in our literature partly because of their intrinsic worth their penetrating thought and severe classic style and partly because of their profound influence upon the writers of the present age the most noted of his prose works are his six volumes of imaginary conversations eighteen twenty four eighteen forty six for these conversations landor brings together sometimes in groups sometimes in couples well-known characters or rather shadows from the four corners of the earth and from the remotest ages of recorded history thus diogenes talks with plato aesop with a young slave girl in egypt henry the eighth with anne boleyn in prison dante with beatrice Leofric with lady godiva all these and many others from epictetus to cromwell are brought together and speak of life and love and death each from his own viewpoint occasionally as in the meeting of henry and anne boleyn the situation is tense and dramatic but as a rule the characters simply meet and converse in the same quiet strain which becomes after much reading somewhat monotonous on the other hand one who reads the imaginary conversations is lifted at once into a calm and noble atmosphere which braces and inspires him making him forget petty things like a view from a hilltop by its combination of lofty thought and severely classic style the book has won and deserves a very high place among our literary records the same criticism applies to pericles and aspasia which is a series of imaginary letters telling the experiences of aspasia a young lady from asia minor who visits athens at the summit of its fame and glory in the great age of pericles this is in our judgment the best worth reading of all landor's works one gets from it not only landor's classic style but what is well worth while a better picture of greece in the days of its greatness than can be obtained from many historical volumes summary of the age of romanticism this period extends from the war with the colonies following the declaration of independence in seventeen seventy six to the accession of victoria in eighteen thirty seven both limits being indefinite as will be seen by a glance at the chronology following during the first part of the period especially england was in a continual turmoil produced by political and economic agitation at home and by the long wars that covered two continents and the wide sea between them the mighty changes resulting from these two causes have given this period the name of the age of revolution the storm center of all the turmoil at home and abroad was the french revolution which had a profound influence on the life and literature of all europe on the continent the overthrow of napoleon at waterloo eighteen fifteen apparently checked the progress of liberty which had started with the french revolution but in england the case was reversed the agitation for popular liberty which at one time threatened a revolution went steadily forward till it resulted in the final triumph of democracy in the reform bill of eighteen thirty two and in a number of exceedingly important reforms such as the extension of manhood suffrage the removal of the last unjust restrictions against catholics the establishment of a national system of schools followed by a rapid increase in popular education and the abolition of slavery in all english colonies eighteen thirty three to this we must add the changes produced by the discovery of steam and the invention of machinery which rapidly changed england from an agricultural to a manufacturing nation introduced the factory system and caused this period to be known as the age of industrial revolution the literature of the age is largely poetical in form and almost entirely romantic in spirit for as we have noted the triumph of democracy in government is generally accompanied by the triumph of romanticism in literature at first the literature as shown especially in the early work of wordsworth byron and shelley reflected the turmoil of the age and the wild hopes of an ideal democracy occasioned by the french revolution later the extravagant enthusiasm subsided and english writers produced so much excellent literature that the age is often called the second creative period the first being the age of elizabeth the six chief characteristics of the age are the prevalence of romantic poetry the creation of the historical novel by scott the first appearance of women novelists such as mrs Anne radcliffe jane porter maria edgeworth and jane austen the development of literary criticism in the work of lamb de quincy coleridge and hazlitt the practical and economic bent of philosophy as shown in the works of malthus james mill and adam smith and the establishment of great literary magazines like the edinburgh review the quarterly blackwoods and the athenaeum in our study we have noted one the poets of romanticism the importance of the lyrical ballads of seventeen ninety eight the life and work of wordsworth coleridge scott byron shelley and keats two the prose writers the novels of scott the development of literary criticism the life and work of the essayists lamb de quincey landor and of the novelist jane austen suggestive questions note in a period like the age of romanticism the poems and essays chosen for special study vary so widely that only a few general questions on the selections for reading are attempted one why is this period of romanticism seventeen eighty nine eighteen thirty seven called the age of revolution give some reasons for the influence of the french revolution on english literature and illustrate from poems or essays which you have read explain the difference between classicism and romanticism which of these two types of literature do you prefer What are the general characteristics of the literature of this period? What two opposing tendencies are illustrated in the novels of Scott and Jane Austen, in the poetry of Byron and Wordsworth? 3. Wordsworth. Tell briefly the story of Wordsworth's life and name some of his best poems. Why do the lyrical ballads, 1798, mark an important literary epoch? read carefully and make an analysis of the intimations of immortality of tintern abbey can you explain what political conditions are referred to in wordsworth's sonnet on milton in his french revolution does he attempt to paint a picture in his sonnet on westminster bridge or has he some other object in view what is the general teaching of the ode to duty compare Wordsworth's two Skylark poems with Shelley's. Make a brief comparison between Wordsworth's sonnets and those of Shakespeare and of Milton having in mind the thought, the melody, the view of nature and the imagery of the three poets. Quote from Wordsworth's poems to show his belief that nature is conscious, to show the influence of nature on man, to show his interest in children, his sensitiveness to sounds, to illustrate the chastening influence of sorrow. Make a brief comparison between the characters of Wordsworth's Michael and of Burns' The Cotter's Saturday Night. Compare Wordsworth's point of view and method in the three poems to a daisy with Burns' view as expressed in his famous lines on the same subjects for coleridge what are the general characteristics of coleridge's life what explains the profound sympathy for humanity that is reflected in his poems for what beside his poems is he remarkable can you quote any passages from his poetry which show the influence of wordsworth what are the characters in the ancient mariner in what respect is this poem romantic give your own reasons for its popularity does the thought or the style of this poem impress you if you have read any of the lectures on shakespeare explain why coleridge's work is called romantic criticism five scott tell the story of scott's life and name his chief poems and novels do you recall any passage from his poetry which suggests his own heroism why was he called the wizard of the north what is the general character of his poetry compare marmion with one of the old ballads having in mind the characters the dramatic interest of the story and the style of writing in what sense is he the creator of the historical novel upon what does he depend to hold the reader's attention compare him in this respect with jane austen which of his characters impress you as being the most lifelike name any novels of the present day which copy scott or show his influence read ivanhoe and the lady of the lake make a brief analysis of each work having in mind the style the plot the dramatic interest the use of adventure and the truth to nature of the different characters six byron why is byron called the revolutionary poet illustrate if possible from his poetry what is the general character of his work in what kind of poetry does he excel quote from *Child harold to illustrate your opinion describe the typical byronic hero can you explain his great popularity at first and his subsequent loss of influence why is he still popular on the continent do you find more of thought or of emotion in his poetry compare him in this respect with shelley with wordsworth which is the more brilliant writer byron or wordsworth which has the more humor which has the healthier mind which has the higher ideal of poetry which is the more inspiring and helpful is it fair to say that byron's quality is power not charm seven shelley what are the chief characteristics of shelley's poetry is it most remarkable for its thought form or imagery what poems show the influence of the french revolution what subjects are considered in lines written among the eugenian hills what does shelley try to teach in the sensitive plant compare shelley's view of nature as reflected in the cloud or the west wind with wordsworth's view as reflected in the prelude tintern abbey daffodils etc to what class of poems does adonais belong what is the subject of the poem name others of the same class how does shelley describe himself in this poem compare shelley's adonais and milton's lycidas with regard to the view of life after death as expressed in the poems what kinds of scenes does shelley like best to describe compare his characters with those of wordsworth of byron do you recall any poems in which he writes of ordinary people or of ordinary experiences eight Keats what is the essence of Keats's poetical creed as expressed in the ode on a grecian urn what are the remarkable elements in his life and work what striking difference do you find between his early poems and those of shelley and byron what are the chief subjects of his verse what poems show the influence of the classics of elizabethan literature can you explain why his work has been called literary poetry keats and shelley are generally classed together what similarities do you find in their poems give some reasons why keats introduces the old beadsman in the eve of st agnes name some of the literary friends mentioned in keats poetry compare keats characters with those of wordsworth of byron does keats ever remind you of spencer in what respects is your personal preference for wordsworth byron shelley or keats why nine lamb tell briefly the story of lamb's life and name his principal works why is he called the most human of essayists his friends call him the last of the elizabethans why what is the general character of the essays of elia how is the personality of lamb shown in all these essays cite any passages showing lamb's skill in portraying people make a brief comparison between lamb and addison having in mind the subjects treated the style the humor and the interest of both essayists which do you prefer and why 10 de quincey what are the general characteristics of de quincey's essays explain why he is called the psychologist of style what accounts for a certain unreal element in all his work read a passage from the english mail coach or from joan of arc or from levana our lady of sorrows and comment freely upon it with regard to style ideas interest and the impression of reality or unreality which it leaves eleven landor in what respects does landor show a reaction from romanticism what qualities make landor's poems stand out so clearly in the memory why for instance do you think lamb was so haunted by rose quote from landor's poems to illustrate his tenderness his sensitiveness to beauty his power of awakening emotion his delicacy of characterization Do you find the same qualities in his prose? Can you explain why much of his prose seems like a translation from the Greek? Compare a passage from the imaginary conversations with a passage from Gibbon or Johnson to show the difference between the classic and the pseudo-classic style compare one of landor's characters in imaginary conversations with the same character in history twelve jane austen how does jane austen show a reaction from romanticism what important work did she do for the novel to what kind of fiction was her work opposed in what does the charm of her novels consist make a brief comparison between jane austen and scott as illustrated in pride and prejudice and ivanhoe having in mind the subject the characters the manner of treatment and the interest of both narratives do jane austen's characters have to be explained by the author or do they explain themselves which method calls for the greater literary skill what does Jane Austen say about Mrs. Radcliffe in Northanger Abbey? Does she make any other observations on eighteenth-century novelists? Chronology End of the eighteenth and beginning of the nineteenth century. History Seventeen sixty, eighteen twenty, George the third. Seventeen eighty nine, seventeen ninety nine, French Revolution. Eighteen hundred union of great britain and ireland 1802 colonization of australia 1805 battle of trafalgar 1807 abolition of slave trade 1808 1814 peninsular war 1812 second war with united states 1814 congress of vienna 1815 battle of waterloo eighteen nineteen first atlantic steamship eighteen twenty george the fourth death eighteen thirty eighteen twenty six first temperance society eighteen twenty nine catholic emancipation bill eighteen thirty william the fourth death eighteen thirty seven first railway eighteen thirty two reform bill eighteen thirty three emancipation of slaves eighteen thirty four system of national education eighteen thirty seven victoria death nineteen o one literature seventeen seventy eighteen fifty wordsworth seventeen seventy one eighteen thirty two scott seventeen ninety six eighteen sixteen jane austen's novels seventeen ninety eight lyrical ballads of wordsworth and coleridge eighteen o two scott's minstrelsy of the scottish border eighteen o five eighteen seventeen scott's poems eighteen o seven wordsworth's intimations of immortality lamb's tales from shakespeare eighteen o nine eighteen eighteen byron's childe herald eighteen ten eighteen thirteen coleridge's lectures on shakespeare eighteen fourteen eighteen thirty one waverley novels eighteen sixteen shelley's alastor eighteen seventeen coleridge's biographia eighteen seventeen eighteen twenty keats poems eighteen 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 twenty shelley's prometheus eighteen twenty wordsworth's duddon's sonnets eighteen twenty eighteen thirty three lamb's essays of elia eighteen twenty one de quincey's confessions eighteen twenty four eighteen forty six landor's imaginary conversations eighteen thirty tennyson's first poems eighteen thirty one scott's last novel eighteen thirty three carlyle's sartor resartus browning's pauline eighteen fifty three eighteen sixty one de quincey's collected essays end of section fifty End of chapter 10